Awesome. Uh, looked like Mindy was holding a hamster or something. I don't know what, <laughs> what that was. <laughs> but <laughs> is that just me? Just me? No? You got it? Okay. Mindy's watching this right now, just probably texting me right now. Um, what she thinks about that. But uh, hey, well, I'm glad you guys are here with us. Uh, again, my name is Clayton. I'm so excited uh, to be able to share God's word with you today on Memorial Day weekend. It's, it's, a, it's a special time to, to remember, right? It's a time to remember um, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we have the freedoms that we have. And so when we have Memorial Day, we have a chance to, to enjoy the life that we have. And a lot of it has to do with with people who have made the ultimate sacrifice. And so I hope you guys have had a chance or you will have a chance to, to hang out and go on a picnic, go for a bike ride, go do something, uh, man, go to the lake or whatever um, to be able to, to celebrate and enjoy the life that God has given us. It's important to remember um, things. In fact, um, when in life, we, we remember things, and we think back to our, when we were really little, and you can probably remember your, your first moment uh, that you can still remember. You, you remember um, some big, important times in your life. Sometimes they had to do with trauma, uh, which is kind of sad, but a, a lot of times they're good things. You had some warm moments, uh, some, some great memories when you, were, when you were little, or as you got older, if you're older in this room, you had, a, you had that, that moment when you said, I do, and... And life completely changed, or you uh, saw those two pink lines, you know, on the, that test, and you realize your life is never going to be the same. And when you held your, your child for the, the very first time, you realize that, that things were going to be completely different. It's something you always, you always remember. And, or some, some of you have even had the, the difficult task of standing next to a grave and saying bye to your loved one. Those are moments that you remember. And I was thinking about this. Why do we remember some of those things and some things we, we don't remember? I mean, I can't remember what happened yesterday, it seems like. But I can remember some very important things and moments in my life. Well, God made us that way. He made us to remember certain things. Our brains are designed to remember in a specific way, because as you are going through your life and you, your one side of your brain, the, the memory side of your brain is just logging all the things that are happening in your life. The other side of your brain, the emotional side of your brain is tagging certain specific moments and it's telling the other side, hey, do not forget this. And so a lot of times our memories are connected with some emotional part um, of our lives. And the Bible is the same way. Sometimes the Bible can have these uh, lasting impressions um, on our lives. When you were little, if you grew up in church or hearing um, the stories of the Bible, there's probably some moments that, that always, um, you'll always remember. Or maybe it was like Daniel in the lion's den. And you have this picture, this image of of what it was like for Daniel, and you're, he's sitting in a cave, and you're, he, he's, he's petting the lion, or whatever. I don't know what, what your memory is of Daniel, or, or maybe it's uh, parting of the Red Sea, and what that must have looked like, and God's power in the middle of that, and this incredible, awesome time. I, I remember a lot of different parts of, of stories of the Bible, but one of the things I'll always remember is a, is a little-known story of this lady in the Old Testament named Jael. And J.L. ended up doing something um, really kind of crazy, but it's recorded in Scripture. And, and the, the Canaanites were fighting the Israelites, and 
they're going back and forth, and there's this general named Sisera, and he was a general, uh, general of the Canaanites, and he was getting rest at Jael's tent. Like her, her, her family's had like a, a compound, and they had all these tents. That was like their house, and and Jael feeds him some, gives him some milk, and he gets really sleepy, and she's like, hey, why don't you take a nap? And so, so uh, he's taking a nap, and she's like this spy that they didn't realize. And so she gets a, while he's asleep, she sneaks in and takes a, a, a steak from one of the tents and a mallet and puts it up to his temple and just hammers away to the point where it goes through his brain and out the other side and into the ground. It's a crazy story, like, but, but I remember that because when I was in Sunday school, when I was probably like a fifth grader, my teacher showed up with a styrofoam head and uh, a pack of ketchup and a, a steak and a hammer, and we got to play that out, and uh, it was awesome. There's ketchup all over the ground, and, and I'll always remember that story, you know, because it was some type of emotional draw that connected me um, to that moment. Well, over the next month, we're going to actually be looking at some parts of Scripture that, that have made impacts in, in our lives, and we're going to call this, just this sermon series, just simply Life Verses. Um, so we're going to be looking at some Parts of scripture that really just have made these, these dramatic parts or dramatic um, impact in our lives. Now, I don't have a specific life verse. You may have one. You say, this is the, the, the verse that defines my life. I don't really have that, but I have several verses, that, several passages that have made tremendous impact and have shaped me. I grew up in church like many of you probably did. Um, grew up in church, going to Sunday school, doing the whole Bible drill thing, and, and uh, one of the things I, I remember a lot is sleeping in the pews, okay? Anybody sleep in the pews when they were little? My family went to the early service so we could beat the Methodists to uh, lunch um, afterwards, and so I, I uh, got to sleep in the pew. It was just like, it was awesome. We just spread out, and no one could see me because the pews were kind of packed close, and they're kind of tall, and so it was like a fort for me, okay? And I just got to hang out and just sleep through, through church and I don't know, somehow uh, God still saved me, okay? So um, when, I, when I was 10, I gave my, my life to the Lord, and the Lord just uh, s- saved my life. But my understanding of Jesus, it was pretty simple. Anybody have that same kind of thought where when you were, when you were little and you're growing up and your, your idea of who Jesus is is really simple, like, like this, like saying, you know, Jesus, he's, he's my, my Savior. And that's a very trusting relationship right there. And that's just, that was my view of who Jesus was. There's nothing wrong with that. That was just a, a, a childlike faith in my relationship with the Lord in that moment. This was my understanding. But when in high school, I began to dig into God's word a little bit deeper and had some incredible Bible studies with some of my, my friends and just uh, getting into to God's word. And I read a passage of scripture that changed my life. And I'd like to share that with you. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, that, that he, talking about Jesus, says that he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. This is a, you're like, okay, that's, that's a lot right there. That's, this, is a, this verse kind of changed my life. Now, there's a lot more going on with, with Colossians. We'll talk about that in a little bit. 
But my understanding of Jesus began to change when I read um, this verse. Now, it, the change didn't happen overnight. It was this gradual uh, process. But I got to begin to see Jesus in all of, in all of his fullness. Like when you go on vacation and you, you take a picture and you, you take that picture home, and if you're like me, you take thousands of pictures, right, and you go and you want to show that to people, especially if you've been somewhere exciting, and you, you sit down with someone who wasn't there, and you're, like, you're showing them all these pictures, and for some reason, they're not as excited as you are, and it makes me mad. Like, why are you not excited about the places I've been, <laughs> you know? Well, the reason is, is because they weren't there, and all that they see is what's in the frame right there. But when you look at that picture, you look at it differently, don't you? You see what's happening. You, under, you remember what happened during that day. You know what's going on behind the camera. You know the emotions you had. You were there in that moment. And so that, that picture speaks a little bit different to you. And that's kind of what it's like when, when I had my, my first interaction with Jesus. All I saw was just this little bit, this little picture of him. And so I'd like to share with you this passage that... It really, it changed, it changed my life. Now, this, this passage has a little bit of background to it. And the, the church in, in Colossae was in this Asian minor um, town, and the church was pretty, pretty new. And, and they had this right understanding of who Jesus was. But then some other leaders came, came in, and they began to teach a watered-down version of Jesus. In a way, saying, hey, yeah, Jesus is important, but he's really not that important. Like, what you guys are making him out to be, that's not truth. And so Paul heard about that and said, I need to write a letter to clear it up. And so this is what he does. In Colossians chapter 1, he goes and he, he writes this, this, uh, this letter and he says some amazing things in there. Like, like this, like Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Like what, what does that mean, you know? He says that he's always existed. You're like, okay, I don't, I'm kind of not really sure about, about that. He says that he created everything. He says all these, these statements. Colossians chapter 1 is an incredible passage. If you really want to know what Jesus is like and what his identity is, man, read Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It is crazy. And in the middle of, the middle of that, he says, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things they, they hold together. That's a, it's a passage that has changed my life. And so I'd just like to share a little bit about that today, what that really means to me personally. And I believe it'll mean something to you personally as well. So let's look at that. When it says that he is before all things, what I realized is that Jesus is more than just the Savior, isn't he? He's more than just the Savior. He is the Savior, and that is incredible and life-changing. But Scripture is saying that he is more than just the Savior. In fact, at the beginning of this verse, what, he, what it's saying to me is that that Jesus, he is creator. He's creator. He is before all things. What that, what that means in a couple different ways is that he's before all time. In John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus describing him as, as the word, saying that he was before all time. In the beginning, he was there. Hebrews 1, 2 says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Talk about the Father, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he, get this, he created the world. Saying that the God the Father created the world through God the Son. He was always there. That changes things. When it says that he is before, before all things, it also means to me that he is before all others. All things might be time, 
but it might also be about his authority above everything else. In the Old Testament, there's this, this phrase, this, these, these two words that describe God. It's like his name, one of his names. In fact, uh, in, in Exodus, Moses is, is uh, before all the things go, go down in Egypt, Moses is running for his life. He's in the wilderness, and God speaks to him through a burning bush. You'll probably remember the story. And so God is speaking to Moses, saying, I want you to go back, and I want you to take care of business in Egypt. And Moses is saying, how am I supposed to do that? I have no authority. When I go there, who am I supposed to say has sent me? And God the Father, in speaking in the burning bush, says, you tell him, I am sent you. You're like, what in the world does that mean? Sounds like an incomplete sentence, really, to me. Like, God, what, are, what do you mean by that? Well, this word, these two words, I am, this statement, is, it's an ultimate statement of, of self-sufficiency and eternal existence. What God is saying when he says, I am, he's saying, I have always been, I don't need anybody's help. No one is making a decision that helps sustain me. I am, I am, right? That's a statement that he's making. It's a huge statement. And so throughout, for thousands of years, people recognized that and understood that about God. Well, if you fast forward into the New Testament times, Jesus is hanging out with some, some of the Pharisees, and they didn't like him very much. And they're saying, where do you get your authority from? He said, I get it from my father. And they're like, who is your father? He's like, my father is God. And they're like, no, your father is the devil. And they said, well, our father is, is Abraham. And he said, let me tell you something about Abraham. Did you know that when Abraham was alive, he was thinking about me? Like he make, makes a statement. He says, he was waiting on me. And they got mad about that. They said, who do you think you are? And he said this, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, he says, I am, right? I mean, like the world exploded for these guys. We read that, live in America, and we're like, okay, that's just a weird statement. To them, he was claiming to be God. So they got stones, and they were trying to, trying to stone him in that moment, and they didn't, they didn't succeed doing that. But, but man, he said, I am. He said, I'm, I'm before all others. It also shows this word, this, this phrase that we're looking at today, it also shows that he is bef- he's outside of time, not just before time, not just have authority over all, all others, but he is outside of time, which is hard to kind of grasp. And there's this one, one verse, it's actually several times in Revelation, but he says this. He says something that, that he who is on the throne, if you read Revelations, it says this. He who is on the throne says this a couple times, and all of a sudden, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus makes some incredible claims about who he is, and he backs every single one of those up. The Bible says he is before all things. I mean, he has always existed, and he'll never cease to exist. That changes things. It teaches me that he is, he is creator. In the second part of that verse, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says that in him all things they hold together. But what in the world does, does that mean? It taught me, it's shown me that he is, he is this consistent foundation that holds everything up. Just pretty unbelievable to think about that. And it taught me that he's not just, just the Savior, even though he is, he's not just the Savior. He is the author. And he's the author of everything. And if he's the author of everything, he is the author of truth. 
which holds all of life up. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God. And throughout scripture, Jesus says, I am God. He says the Father and I are one. There's no difference between the two of us. What this means is that Jesus is the author, not only of creation, but of, of God's word. And I think that is an important thing to stop and recognize. A lot of us look at scripture and we're like, I mean, it's just like this piecemeal thing and it's created by, by a bunch of different guys over, different, over time and they put all this together and it's, there's contradictions and all that stuff. A lot of people have this view of scripture and says that they say, well, man, that's not really something I can trust. I can't really trust that because of what has happened in the past. People manipulated it for their own personal desires. Let me show you a picture that paints a different story. This right here is an incredible visual representation of God's word, the Bible. This is all of God's word down here at the bottom, from Genesis to Revelation. And all of these arcing connections are showing where Scripture speaks about itself and fulfills itself and connects together with itself. All those times. Now, you may not think that's that crazy, but there's 66 books right there. There's 40 different human authors right there. There's 1,500 years of the Bible being written right there on three different continents in different cultures in three different languages. And all of it is connected together. That's pretty incredible. I don't know about you, when I was growing up, I kind of had this view that this was kind of separating different parts. And yeah, you got Paul and some other apostles writing some of this stuff over here. And you got some prophets um, writing some things here. And Moses at the beginning writing some different things. And they're kind of not connected together. But man, this is a great visual representation to show that no, Scripture, there's a plan behind it, right? There's an author, one author, that has a plan. When I look at something like that, when I read this scripture, it says that he holds all things together. It shows me that God has a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing, and so I can trust him. In your life, can you trust Jesus? Yeah, you can trust Jesus. Look what he's done. These truths from, from scripture have changed my life. They changed my view of Jesus. This was my view of Jesus. Jesus is Savior. That's a saving relationship right there. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't have to stay there. If you start to read Scripture, things will change, I promise you. My view of Jesus went from Jesus being my Savior to this. On the screen here is all these different scriptures speaking about who Jesus is. He's more than just the Savior. He's the good shepherd. He's the righteous servant. He is life. He's redeemer. He is God. He is I am. There it is right there. He's the holy one. He's the last Adam. He's the bright and morning star. There's all these, we could just go over and over again and look at all these things and see that Jesus, he's bigger than we think he is. And when I read that scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it changed my life. And it has spoken some truth 
to me this morning as I kind of think about what does this mean for me? It's great information, but what does it mean for me? Let me, let me leave you with just two things that this scripture has taught me. Number one is this. I'm loved. This is just me speaking to you right now. I am loved. I'm loved by God. How do I know that? Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. That was easy. Okay. That was a freebie. That was a freebie. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What Jesus is saying is, man, your life is valuable. You are loved. You want to know how much you are loved? That the God of the universe would give up his crown, would give up his throne, and come on this earth and die for you. That's some love, isn't it? John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave himself to us. To me, when I think about the greatness of who Jesus is, he's not just a savior. He is, he is God himself, and God himself is willing to die for me. Man, I am I'm loved. Which means you're loved too. It's also helped me to see this other truth that that my life has meaning. Not only am I loved, but my life, it really does have meaning. And so does yours. If God was willing to die for you, then he's got a plan for your life. And he wants to use you. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to make your life count. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that, that you are a chosen people. Okay, God chose you. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result of all of that, you can show others the goodness of God. That is your purpose, right? For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Your life counts. Your life has meaning. We're looking at these life verses. Maybe, your life, maybe you have a life verse that you can like wrap your whole life around. You say, I mean, that is that one. When I saw that, I mean, there's just nothing else matters. It's, it's my life verse. But for a lot of us, we maybe don't have those, but we have some verses that have changed our lives. So what are you to do? Well, today I've shared with you one of mine, and next week I'm going to share with you one more. And we're going to have some different people up on stage over the next, uh, during the month of June, and they're going to be able to share their life verses with you. But I want to ask this. Will you share your life verse with us? This week, in fact, over the next couple weeks, I'm going to ask you to do this. As you're perusing through social media, as you're scrolling, and would you stop and maybe put down your life verse? Maybe it's your life verse right now, like the thing that is impacting your life right now. I'd like to invite you to share that so that the world can see it. Explain briefly what it means to you, and then I'd like for you to tag our church on social media whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or wherever else, tag our church because here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some of those during, during the weeks, and we're going to show some of them up on the screen because I want to hear from you as well. I want to see just how much Scripture has changed your life. Scripture has changed our lives. It's a great revelation. It is the revelation of God in our lives. And I pray, I pray that today you'll be able to see Jesus a little bit differently. 
He's not just the Savior. He's way more than that. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for each person here. And Lord, I ask, Lord, a simple prayer today that you would reveal yourself to us, that we'll be able to see that you and your, your perfect unity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're way more than we ever could imagine. You sent your Son, Father, to this earth to die for us. And your Son is the creator of all things. He has always been, and he will always be. What great love you have for us. I pray, Lord, that people in this room watching online would experience that love, perhaps for the very first time, and they would give their life to you and trust in you to save them from their sins. I pray, God, that that love would motivate us to live lives of impact and meaning. You have a purpose for every single one of us Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Help us to worship you with our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.